This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Breaking hockey news. About 15 minutes ago, the Islanders firing their head coach, Lane Lambert, and Patrick Waugh, uh, the Hall of Fame goalie and uh, former NHL Coach of the Year as well with the Colorado Avalanche about a decade ago, has been named the new head coach of the New York Islanders. Uh, I'm speaking to you from the Barton Hahn Studios, actually sitting in Alan Hahn's chair as we speak. Alan on his way into Madison Square Garden for coverage tonight of the Knicks and the Raptors and on the phone with us right now. So, Alan, I'm keeping the chair warm for you. Appreciate you hopping on with some thoughts on this. Yeah, well, I was listening, and, and it's funny, the, the the news came across. It was something that, if you follow me on Twitter, even last night watching that game, the Islanders lost a game that, that really they had no business losing. They had to actually come back just to force overtime, and they just continued these lackluster performances that it, it's just they're playing below standard. And it reached a point to it. I'm not big on you know, getting out on social media talking about coaches need to be fired, but it just, they look like a team and they have for the better path, for the better part of the last month or two, uh, aside from maybe a couple of weeks where they, they started to show their potential. It just, you could tell a team that just needs a new direction and that clearly they needed one. Uh, and you just, Lane Lambert even actually after the game last night did the thing that you know means he knows he's gone by blaming the players. And basically saying, like, you know, they need to step up and do more. It's like they need to be more accountable. It's like, isn't that your job is to get more out of them? So this move was not a surprise. At least it felt like it was, you know, it was a long time coming. The Patrick Wild part of it, though, that's the surprise yeah. part. <laughs> we'll see where that goes. But I'll tell you what, Pat, they do bring in a guy that, as we know, he's been coaching juniors for a while now, but yep. he's fiery. I mean, and any team needs that get back to, you know, a coach that's going to kick you in the ass, especially guys like, to me, Matt Barzell is underachieving. That guy needs to get right. And if he doesn't, they need to move on from him. And I feel like you got to get a coach that's going to come in and let him know you're supposed to be an all-star. You don't play like one. And they got to get themselves better defensively. They got away from that in life after Barry Trotz. And let's make a Knicks connection here. If any Knicks fan that thinks that the Knicks should move on from Tom Thibodeau, if you're wondering what the Knicks would look like after Tom Thibodeau and the standard he sets and the defense and the demanding things and all that stuff, just look at what the Islanders looked like in the first half of the season. Because after Barry Trotz, that's what it looked like when you lose the standard and you get away from the things that work and you push players and you challenge them. So be, be careful what you wish because we're seeing it with the Islanders of what it looks like when you move on from a coach who had the team playing at a high standard, a high level, and high compete, and that all went away. Let's see if it comes back. Alan Hahn, the co-host of Barton Hahn right here, weekdays 12-3 to 3 on ESPN New York, former Knicks beat writer for Newsday, and before that, the Islanders beat writer for Newsday. Again, the Islanders firing head coach Lane Lambert and Patrick Waugh is their new head coach. You know, Barry Trotz wasn't here for that long, but while he was, he took this team – Within a round of the Stanley Cup back-to-back years, did they pull the plug on Trotz too quickly? Absolutely. And I wonder. Um, it, it shocked me when it was when it was done. And when, when moves like that happen, a lot of times when they start to suggest the message is getting stale or that the players are just they've had enough. Because, look, it, 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 some, some type of coaching does 
have a short shelf life. There's a reason even why like Peter Laviolette has bounced around with all the great success he's had, and he's having a great first year with the Rangers as well. It's that, you know, when you push players and drive them hard, after a while, guys just tend to, you know, they've had enough of the message, unfortunately, but that's a reality. And with Trotz, you feel like maybe he got them so far and the players just didn't want to hear it anymore or didn't want to deal with it. I don't know. I wish I ever got that answer from someone, but you know what we never heard from? We never heard from players. And so it makes me feel like the players made this decision, wanted to go with the assistant coach, and you know when the assistant takes over and he's everybody's buddy, that is always the most uncomfortable thing. I didn't like it from the start, I'm telling you, Pat. And so, yes, I feel it was too soon, and you, the results tell you it was too soon. That team got the two Final Fours. It's very hard to do that in any league, pro league, to get to the Final Four, the conference championship round. That's tough to do, but it tells you you're one of the elite teams. To go from that and then have the bottom drop out defensively and you become a team that is so inconsistent it drives its fan base crazy, that tells you absolutely they had the right coach, they had players that didn't want to do it anymore, and when it got easy, it it turned into a country club. They got a beautiful arena, they got a beautiful practice facility, and a lot of their guys got paid, and they got paid rightly so. They were successful real easy around that organization and that's why you become a team that is barely making the playoffs and playing inconsistently that's got to change and Lou Lamarillo made a move that let's see if Patrick Waugh comes in with some fire and changes this country club kind of atmosphere that a lot of people feel like is around this team right now. Well, look, Alan, you know any organization that Lou Lamorello is in charge of, he has the final word, the first word, the final word, every word on pretty much everything. It, I, I mentioned this earlier. He's no stranger to a midseason coaching change because when the Devils were in the middle right. of their run, late in the 2000 season, he fires Robbie Vitoric. He brings in Larry Robinson with like 10 games, maybe even fewer than 10 games left. And they end up going on to win the yep. Stanley Cup that season. So he's not afraid of making the big move. The Trots move, I feel the same way as you. Didn't know all the details or the particulars. It was certainly surprising when they let a guy go who had that pedigree and had enjoyed that much success here in such a short amount of time. But at some point, Alan, and I would imagine the time is here or very near in the future, at some point we've got to look at Lou Lamorello with where this organization is too. Man, there's some decisions made, right? I mean, I, and that always so heavy is the head that wears the crown. Now, going back to 2000, what you're referencing with Robbie Fatoric, I actually covered that Devils team. It was crazy. I did the trifecta that year. I, I started the year with the Islanders. The Rangers um, made the changes with the front office of running Glenn Sather. Newsday moved me over to the Ranger beat, and I finished the season. John Tortorella, who nobody knew at the time, was the interim head coach to finish that season, believe it or not. And then Torts actually went on to become – a great coach, but that I, and then once the playoffs began, neither Rangers nor Islands were in the playoffs. Then I was put on the Devils, and so I was there for the end, the coaching change. We talked to Lou Lamarillo about that, and his feeling was that yes, it was late in the year, but the team was starting to lose traction, and they weren't playing to their potential. And he felt like he had to do something. And Larry Robinson, who was an assistant, he became the head coach. He loves him some uh, former Montreal Canadiens as head coaches, apparently, right? <laughs> Jacques Lemaire, you know, Larry Robinson. So he's had a few, and now obviously he's got one more. So we'll see if this one has that same impact because we have seen this Islander team play to their potential. They've got a lot of firepower. 
They've got excellent goaltending. Their problem is they play so loose sometimes and so careless, and it feels like there's no accountability for mistakes. Some of the young guys tend to just play like as if, you know, their blank don't stink. And I hate to say it that way, but I have no other way to put it. Some of the young guys who are talented on this team are way too comfortable with being average and mediocre. That's got to change. Because the older guys that got to those conference championships, they're breaking down. They're getting old. It's up to the next level. It's the Dobsons and the Barzells and whatever Wallstrom is. I have no idea because every time he plays, you can tell he's talented, but you can tell he knows he's talented and has never had to try hard in his life. Somebody needs to challenge that guy if you're going to get the most out of him. So we'll see now if Patrick Waugh comes in and, you know, takes away the comfy towels and the flip-flops and says it's time to get to work because there's still time to make the playoffs and there's still time for this team to show its potential. Yeah, and the thing about this move that I do like is the timing of it because they're just over the halfway point, and the Metropolitan Division, let alone the wild card, has really tightened up. Uh, even the Rangers in oh, recent weeks have kind of come back to the pack. So at 49 points, there's still plenty of time for the Islanders with a new direction to make, some, uh, make up some of this ground. Yeah, and they can be a dangerous team because they have a core, even though it's older, they have a core that's been there. So that you know the Brock Nelsons and the Anders Lees and, and the Clutterbucks and the Sezikas. These guys have been there. They know how to win. Like that hasn't like that part of the team hasn't been taken away. They've got guys who know how to win because they've been there. The problem is that some of the periphery, including the, the young guys I keep naming, they're not they're not carrying their weight enough. And the older guys that have won, they can't do it the way they did it three, four years ago. So that's what I want to see. And they'd be a dangerous team because they have the core that still has won. And that's why if, they, if Patrick Watt comes in and, and he does it right, it could be really interesting and they could be that dangerous team you don't want to see. Alan Hahn with us here. Pat O'Keefe with you till 7 o'clock. Then Nick's pregame comes your way. The breaking hockey news this afternoon. Lane Lambert out as head coach of the New York Islanders and Patrick Waugh in. Wah was the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche for three years, a record of 130-92-24, and 24, so a lot of success. He won the Jack Adams Award as the NHL's Coach of the Year also in 2014. Alan, you're on your way to the Garden. I will see you there later. want to get some thoughts uh, before I let you go on that. It's going to be a fun night. Um, you know, I was talking about it earlier with Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett, two prominent and popular Knicks who were traded away exactly three weeks ago today, making their return here. What are you expecting in terms of atmosphere, especially crowd reception tonight? Yeah, emotional. I definitely feel like that you'll feel the emotions. I mean, these like I, I put on my Instagram story that, you know, the kids are coming home for a visit tonight. You know, like that's just kind of what it feels like. Um, and showing my age, too, that I have kids that are that old. But it just, you know, because they're draft picks and you had success with them. And so you, you love them a little more. And then you trade, especially quickly. Everybody really felt like quickly was coming into something. And to let him go, even though the, the trade has proven to be a great success for the starting five of this team and defensively, and they've won eight of the ten games since the trade, it has been great. You still have that, that feeling for these two young guys that they had to move on. So I think the crowd will definitely receive them well. But you also, as the Knicks, have to make sure you win this game. Because what you want to prove as the current Knicks is that we're better now with this trade. Like, yeah, we love these guys, but you got to win this game. 
And so I do think it'll be a very competitive game, which I'm really looking forward to. That'll be the fun part. But there'll be some emotions early on, mostly obviously on the Barrett side and the Quickly side and the fan side. I don't think the Nick players are going to be caught up in it. It'll be more fun for them because it's going up against a couple of guys that you know and really like. And I'm just curious how OG Ananobi's going to handle all this stuff, too. Because we all know he doesn't really show any emotion. Right. Unbelievable poker fans. But is he going to have a little personal, like, I got something to prove tonight? So let's let's see how it works on that side as well. His first 10 games in New York, they're 8-2. and two. They could be 10-0, and 0, as if Tom Thibodeau has said a couple times. If they grab a couple no. of defensive rebounds, rebound. they, they could be 10-0. Yeah. When you look at OG, watching him night in and night out now with this team, um, you know, just what what are your thoughts on him overall as a player and as a fit here in New York? It's amazing because we've asked so many different people, uh, whether it's you know opponents or t- or current Nick players, and even like former OG teammates like Fred VanVleet. You ask him like, "What do you think?" They all perfect fit. He's a perfect fit, and it's because of how he plays, what he brings, the corner three that he shoots at a high percentage that R.J. Barrett himself even admitted, that's not my game. Like, I'm not comfortable just standing in the corner. But O.G. Ananobi, that's what he does. He shoots it really well, and that gives him great success. But it's a defense. I think he really has helped the Knicks defense get better, and the numbers don't lie. I mean, since he's been on the team, the Knicks have the best defensive rating in the NBA. They have the best uh, de- uh, scoring defense in the NBA. They're holding teams to 101 points a game. In today's NBA, where everybody's scoring 120. So it really has had that immediate impact. You can see it. I still think there's more to his game, and that's going to open up little by little. But, you know, the fit for the starting five has been so good. And now, of course, as you know, Pat, it's okay. It was a fit for the first starting five, but it took something away from the bench that has that's been exposed, and that's going to need before the trade deadline. Yeah, I think it is. And especially you see the other night when Josh Hart wasn't playing, it was essentially a six-man rotation that Tom Thibodeau went with, and Quentin Grimes gave them very little off the bench. So he pretty much, Tibbs did, had to ride his starters the entire second half. What's the solve there? Do you think that could only be solved, deepening the rotation by going outside the organization? I believe so. I, I think it's a matter of we, we, we've learned a lot about Tom Thibodeau, and one thing is about trust. He'll give you an opportunity, and then if you know if he doesn't love what he's seeing or realize we need more. And I just think, like here, Deuce McGrath's a great example. And Deuce has, has done everything he could. He shot the basketball well. He gets after it. He works hard defensively. But what you're seeing, though, is what you miss with quickly is a another ball handler, especially late in games. That can, when teams are focused so much on Brunson, there's another guy that can bring the ball up the floor. That what we're seeing without quickly is Julius Randle's being asked to be more of a playmaker when Brunson's not on the floor. And we have seen in the past when Randle is, is looking to be a playmaker and not just primarily a scorer, he can turn the ball over. So those are things that are being exposed that a ball handler, an experienced ball handler, somebody that can get an offense organized, which is something that Deuce has even admitted himself he's struggling with, with the second unit. Yeah, that, that, it's just not on the roster. And so they've got to find that. There are some options out there. They're going to be expensive, but we'll see you know, what they can come up with before the deadline. But that's definitely something I think that they're working on, or at least they should be working on, uh, before we get to February 8th. Alan, appreciate you hopping on again. You're on your way into the Garden. You'll be on MSG's pregame coverage starting at 7, right? 
Yes, sir. All right. I'll see you down there. You got it, Pat. That's Alan Hahn right here, the uh, co-host of Barton Hahn, weekdays, noon to 3 on 98.7 ESPN, talking a little Knicks, talking a little Islanders as well. Wasn't expecting to dive deeply into the Islanders' struggles when the show began, but a coaching change necessitates that. Lane Lambert out, Patrick Waugh in as the new head coach of the New York Islanders, and we will see if he lights the fire that Allen says is desired and needed for this underachieving This is the Pat O'Keefe Show. Sebastian Maniscalco is coming to Madison Square Garden on Friday, September 20th and Saturday, September 21st. ESPN New York has your chance to score tickets at ESPNNewYork.com or on the ESPN New York app. Just scroll down to contests and submit your entry. Brought to you by Live Nation. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go back to the phones. Richard in Manhattan has been waiting. Richard, how are you? Hey, Pat. You know, uh, the Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and uh, Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh division, they had, the be- they had the best record ever in the NFL. They were all over 500, I believe. Oh, yeah. And I think 42 and 26 was their final. It's like a 62%. But it's ironic. Both the two of the teams lost in the first Two teams lost in the first game, and then you got uh, Baltimore tomorrow, tonight. Uh, now playing, so let's see. But you know, I love this situation where you may have upstarts in the Super Bowl, like a Detroit-Houston Super Bowl. Unlikely, but that would be unbelievable. You know, I'm not like these people that thought the Arizona-Texas baseball World Series was bad. I think that's great because in the long run, it gives teams a feeling that you can win. Any city can win. Momentum. Look at Green Bay beating Dallas. This is great. This is great. So I don't subscribe to the, uh, you know, the uh, same thing with the NCAA basketball tournament. I like to see upstarts go to the final four. I think it's great. Uh, you know, it could be schools like UConn last year, but they came out of nowhere, even though they're a big school. So all it is, and the NFL, these are four intriguing games. Now, we don't know if the games are going to be good. Last week, out of the six games, five of them, in my opinion, were terrible. Yes. The only good game was the Detroit-LA game. So I'm just hoping two out of the four games are good. I remember two years ago, the four divisional games on this weekend were all great games. So that's all I hope for, great games where we can talk on the radio about moves that the referee, uh, the uh, coaches made or didn't make, and were critical. You know, those are great things to talk about. So it's, it's intriguing. I, I just want to see good games today. And uh, it's set up for it. The NFL's got it going, though. I mean, you know, it's, it's a great way they set everything up and the teams they play. And I mean, I think what Green Bay did to Dallas is one of the greatest things in sports. No one gave them a chance. Not even Jerry Jones couldn't believe it. A guy like that, an oil man like that. He was sincere. Well, it's funny, too, because then you you, you look at that, Richard. You you look at today, and now as a result, everybody is thinking that Green Bay has a shot against San Francisco. 
And and I don't personally think they do. It, it's very reminiscent to me about the Giants last year. Very reminiscent on a lot of levels. You know, Green Bay is a team that was not expected to get into the playoffs at the beginning of the season. Then they got off to they actually got off to a slow start and started playing well. And then they seemed to peter out again. I mean, that Monday night game when they lost to Tommy DeVito. After that, you thought they'd be hard-pressed, but they kept winning late, and they found themselves in the playoffs, and then they come up with that performance against the Cowboys. And the quarterback is red hot at the right time, and now all of a sudden, they're going into the number one seed on Saturday night of Divisional Weekend. It's exactly the same scenario the Giants were in last year. Remember last year? The only difference is Giants got off to a good start last year, then they leveled off, and then they had to win some games late to get their, I believe they were the sixth seed last year. Yeah, they were the sixth seed, and they faced the number three Vikings in the um, in the first round of the playoffs. They beat the Vikings on the road, and now all of a sudden, remember people were thinking that the Giants had a chance to beat the Eagles because in Week 18, when the Giants went to Philadelphia, the Eagles, they needed to win the game just to secure the number one seed. They thought they could get Jalen Hurts, some reps, maybe in the first quarter, maybe in the first half, put that game on ice, put him on ice, and get him ready to play in the divisional weekend two weeks after. And Davis Webb played quarterback for the Giants. He played well. And the Giants' defense really played well. And the Eagles never actually were able to put that game away. I believe the Giants had an onside kick in the closing seconds where there was still technically a chance. They had to play Hurts the entire game. And as a result of that Giants performance giving the Eagles a hard time, a lot of people thought that the Giants could do the same thing in Philadelphia two weeks later. And obviously it was 14-0 by the end of the first quarter, and the Giants were completely outclassed that night. This Green Bay situation reminds me of that. Now, a couple things that are different. Um, Unfortunately, and and you don't know this, but uh, Jordan Love looks long-term like a better bet than Daniel Jones. Obviously, it's easy to say that now after the year that Jones just had, both performance-wise and injury-wise. But Jordan Love, over the last seven weeks of the season, has the best quarterback numbers in the NFL. I mean, Daniel Jones never played at that level. Jones played really well second half of last season. Jones played a phenomenal wild card game against Minnesota, but he was never in a position where, over any period of time, he had the best stats of any quarterback in the NFL. Jordan Love has that right now, so he looks like he could be absolutely the real deal. Plus, they have a stronger offensive line, um, just more infrastructure in that organization. And let's be honest, they're in an easier division. You know, the, the biggest thing that the Giants have and had working against them is their division. They have two perennial playoff teams. Now, they were both extremely disappointing last week, but over the course of an 18-week regular season, to have to play the Cowboys twice and the Eagles twice, that's very difficult. So, we'll see. Green Bay in San Francisco tonight. You know, house money is a term that's thrown around. Green Bay is clearly playing with house money. I think Houston's playing with house money even more than Green Bay. Uh, They're about to take the field right now against the Baltimore Ravens. I I mentioned this earlier. I used to have this number off the top of my head. I just had to go through the standings. Um, There are now four teams in the NFL that have never been to the Super Bowl. And two of them are still alive, which is interesting. Uh, Cleveland and Jacksonville. Uh, along with Houston and Detroit, Detroit is, and they're the, um, they're the only one. I guess the Cleveland thing is weird because they were the Cleveland Browns for forever, and then in '96 they left. They went to Baltimore, 
And then when they reincarnated, I think two years later, they gave the quote-unquote expansion team, which is the current team that we know as the Cleveland Browns, they allowed the expansion team to keep all the history of the original Cleveland Browns. So technically, as far as the NFL is concerned, Cleveland and Detroit are the two franchises that have been around since the Super Bowl started that have never actually played in the Super Bowl. And Detroit's got a shot. You know, they really do. I also think that Tampa Bay's got a shot to beat them tonight. I'd be hard-pressed to see Houston in the Super Bowl this year. I I don't see them getting past today, and uh, I certainly don't see them getting past next week if they are able to get past today. But, you know, two of the final eight teams remaining are two of the four teams that have never, ever played in a Super Bowl. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe leading up to Nick's pregame with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is is the Pat O'Keefe Show. In Baltimore, the Ravens and the top-seeded Ravens and the Houston Texans, Lamar Jackson on the field for Baltimore. You know, you look at the quarterbacks this weekend in the divisional round, a mixed bag. Uh, You have Jackson and then the rookie, C.J. Stroud. You have Brock Purdy in his second year with San Francisco and Jordan Love, who we've already seen last week in his first year as an NFL starter. Baker Mayfield has now won two playoff games in his career, including last week for Tampa Bay against Philadelphia. Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl as the quarterback of the Rams, then was jettisoned and won a playoff game last week for the Lions. And then Patrick Mahomes, we don't need to really dissect what he's done in the postseason in his career. And Jared Allen. Allen didn't play last uh, well last year for Buffalo when they lost in the divisional round to Cincinnati. It was a weird year for Buffalo last season. Obviously, uh, what happened to DeMar Hamlin uh, on New Year's really kind of threw their entire rest of their season uh, in, in a different direction, you know, emotionally and you know, in terms of their concentration and just everything else that went into that season. And it really ended ended with a thud. They had a hard time getting past the Dolphins, who were playing with Skylar Thompson as their quarterback in the wild card round. They got to play the Bengals, and they were never really in that game, despite having home field advantage in that game in the divisional round. And they kind of petered out from there. Josh Allen's had his moments in the playoffs. His best playoff game was that game that they lost to the Chiefs, the 13-second game, the famous 13-second game, where he and Mahomes were in an old-school Shootout, which I think a lot of people are hoping for tomorrow night, which I don't think we're going to get tomorrow night because of the state of the rosters of both of those teams. I do expect a close game tomorrow night. Allen has had some moments. Lamar Jackson, and he's the player. You you can look at, and I asked this question earlier, which quarterback is under the most pressure this weekend? It's clearly either Allen or Lamar Jackson. They're outside of Patrick Mahomes. They are the two most accomplished quarterbacks that are playing this weekend. And Mahomes is in his own category. You know, Mahomes can retire tomorrow and is going to Canton. He's been to three Super Bowls. He's won two. He's won multiple MVPs already. And who knows? He might end up in the Super Bowl in Las Vegas again this season. But Allen's been a top quarterback, and he's been a top player for the last half decade. And Lamar Jackson is most likely going to win his second NFL MVP award this season. And neither of them has been able to bring his team, to the Super Bowl. Now, you could say Allen's under more pressure, and the reason I would think it would be Allen under more pressure is because I think the window 
for his team to have this level of success is not going to be open as long as the window for Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. You know, I, I, I see signs, and I've seen them all season long, that this run for Buffalo is it, – it's already reached the top of its mountain, okay? And it, it's starting to kind of slowly come to – come to its conclusion. That's not to discount them this year. I mean, they could they could end it with a bang this year by getting to the Super Bowl or even winning the Super Bowl because that is still very much on the table. But I don't see a long window of sustained success for Buffalo from this point on as much as I do for the Baltimore Ravens. Now, you look at Lamar Jackson's playoff history. Um, you know, he was a rookie in 2018, final pick in the first round of the draft that year after Baltimore traded up to pick him. And he took over the starting job midway through the season for Joe Flacco and never gave it back. And then Baltimore went to the playoffs, had a home game against the Chargers, and Jackson was awful in that game. All right, you chalk it up to it was a rookie. He was playing in his first NFL playoff game. Maybe the expectations for the Ravens weren't even that high to begin the season. You could chalk up a lot of it to that. And then the next year they come back, and they were the number one seed in 2019 and had a home divisional game against Tennessee and were absolutely blitzed. And Tennessee had a terrific game plan. Um, Lamar Jackson, that game, threw 59 pass attempts, 59 passes, and the Ravens only scored 12 points in that game. They were completely bobbled up. So now, okay, Interesting. Red flag number two. The following year, they beat Tennessee to advance to take on Buffalo, where again, the Bills bottle up Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, holding him to three points in a 17-3 Buffalo victory, and that was in 2020. And that was it. Last year, he, you know, you don't know the nature of his injury, but he got injured about two-thirds of the way last season. It seemed for a long time like it was a possibility that he was going to return, and he never returned. They got into the playoffs, and he never even returned for the playoffs. They actually almost won a playoff game in Cincinnati with Huntley, the backup quarterback, starting for Baltimore. And today is Lamar Jackson's first playoff game since 2020. His first three years goes to the playoffs all three times. Plays four playoff games, goes one and three in those playoff games. I would say he played well in one of them, the one they won, where he was 17 of 24 passing for 179 yards against Tennessee, and he ran the ball 16 times for 136 yards. And that was it. So he has not performed well. So this is a guy who is MVP caliber. He's already been an MVP. He's likely going to be a second-time MVP. But the further you go along in your career, and by the way, um, they just kicked a field goal to get on the board. The Ravens did, so it's 3 nothing, five seven minutes into the game in Baltimore. But if you go long enough in your career where you have not yet performed in the playoffs, it becomes harder and harder to shake that reputation. And this is a critical start for Lamar Jackson. This is a game that in no way, shape, or form, the Baltimore Ravens should even entertain losing to the Houston Texans. Houston shouldn't be here. You can make the case they shouldn't have made the playoffs. Indiana, Indianapolis had them dead to rights in week 18. 
some poor coaching down the stretch of that game allowed Houston to hold on for that victory. And then they get into the wild card round. They get a home game because they won their crummy division. And I'm not trying to impugn Houston. They've done a phenomenal job with their rookie head coach and rookie quarterback this year. But this is their first year together. Look out for Houston next year, the year after that, the year after that. This year has to be Baltimore's year. It really does. And if for some reason Jackson has another poor performance today, and if for some reason Baltimore loses to Houston on its home field today, then he and they are going to have to answer serious questions about his performance in the postseason. You could say he's been a brilliant regular season performer, and he's he's been that for the most part. He has. He, he hardly ever loses to an NFC team. He's about to be a two-time MVP. This is, what, his sixth year in the league, 18, 19, 20, 21. This is his sixth year in the league. He's going to win the MVP a third of the years he's been in the NFL. But that almost makes it worse if you get to the next level and your performance goes backwards. You know, the great ones, their performance is elevated in those big games. Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady. We've had a lot of great ones in this generation of football alone. And Lamar Jackson, as a two-time MVP, as the quarterback of a team that's the number one seed in the AFC, as a franchise quarterback who's being paid like an all-time great, the expectations are not unreasonable to think that he should be elevating his performance when he gets to the postseason. So I could see a strong argument to say that Josh Allen is under the most pressure of all the quarterbacks who are playing this weekend. However, in my mind, it's Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen, Josh Allen's head coach screwed up that game three years ago. Screwed up that game. McDermott screwed up that game. They should have gone to the Super Bowl that year, and they probably would have won the Super Bowl because the Chiefs beat a 49ers team that wasn't that good, that had Jimmy Garoppolo as its starting quarterback. Buffalo could have won the Super Bowl that year, and they threw away their chance because they mishandled those final 13 seconds. They were winning with 13 seconds to go on the road. Allen brought them from behind twice in the fourth quarter against the greatest quarterback of this generation, going toe-to-toe with him, not once, but twice. And then he didn't get the, he probably would have done it a third time, but because of the rules at the time, he didn't get to touch the ball in overtime, which was a shame, but it was the rule. He's proven that he can perform. Lamar Jackson, in a win or a loss, has never had a performance like that. Never. C.J. Stroud, and I understand there's a difference between wild card weekend and divisional weekend. A lot of Lamar's playoff experience has been in divisional weekend because they've earned the number one seed and they've earned the bye. All right, so he's kind of a victim of his regular season success. C.J. Stroud's performance last week was in the wild card round. But C.J. Stroud had a better moment and a better game and a better performance last year than Lamar Jackson has ever had in the postseason. So for that reason, I think he's under the most pressure right now. So uh, Houston has the ball. Baltimore leads 3 to nothing. What was the length of this field goal? I, I saw the celebration. Uh, Justin Tucker, 53-yard field goal, and it's freezing outside. That ball must feel like a rock today on his powerful right foot. But Tucker, uh, one of the great equalizers in the NFL, one of the great cheat codes in the NFL, gives Baltimore a 3 nothing lead, and uh, Houston now has the ball 
in the first quarter. We'll get back to your calls, 1-800-919-3776. More thoughts on the football weekend and the Knicks game tonight as Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett return to Madison Square Garden. That all coming up with Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York.